Well, good day and welcome to the online ministry for St. Augustine's Anglican Church in Inverell. My name is Matt and this is being prepared for August the 20th, 2023. As we begin, hear these sentences of scripture from John 6. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall not hunger and he who believes in me shall never thirst. Well, they are great promises of our Lord and Saviour Jesus. And so with that, let's go to a time of praise. Chains of the Lord 
As we come to the ministry of God's word, let me pray. Heavenly Father, you are good and you know us and we praise you that you give us your word. Help us to meditate on it. Help us to hear it. Help us to know you through it, we pray. Amen. Well, our Bible readings today begin with John chapter 17, verses 13 to 19. Our psalm for today is Psalm 56, verses 1 to 4. And our passage that I'll share from in just a moment is Daniel chapter 1, and it's the whole thing. And so pause the video, take a moment, read through those passages, and then I'll come back and share from Daniel. Heavenly Father, we pray that in this time you would help us to have quietened hearts, that we would hear you speak, that we would let your word permeate through our hearts and apply it to our lives. Amen. Well, how can we remain faithful to God in a world that rejects him? Is it even worth standing firm and obeying God when his promises seem so far away or perhaps like a distant memory? Now, as we get into it, I want you to know that those questions are not from us. These are questions that were asked by God's people two and a half thousand years ago, and especially by a man named Daniel and his friends who found themselves exiled in Babylon. And so this is why, though, we're starting the, a new series in the book of Daniel today, because the tensions that the, Ezra, the Israelite exiles faced back then are also similar tensions to that of which Christians face today. Uh, we live in a context where to be a genuine Christian and follower of Jesus isn't the norm. It's to be misunderstood, perhaps to be mistreated or maligned, or to use the words of another Christian author, 
in the cultural waters that we swim in today, to be a Christian is to be more and more seen as being one of the bad guys. Now, last week, Adam reminded us that in certain counselling circles, uh, Christianity is deemed to be dangerous and harmful. And it's not just there either. Uh, no, one of the, uh, the easiest and clearest ways we see our differences from society is when it comes to matters of uh, ethics of sexuality and human life. For example, uh, here in Australia recently, there's, there was a couple who were looking to apply as foster parents. And as they filled in everything, they totally smashed all the requirements out of the park, except when it came to their views on human sexuality simply because they held a conservative biblical view, they were told that their house was not safe for children. But it's not just on those hot topics either. No, again, recently uh, in, in ACT, a Christian girl named Hannah was banned from a cafe because she read her Bible and prayed with a friend over lunch. Right? This is becoming more and more the world that we live in. And this is why the book of Daniel is good for us, because it's a help for us wrestling with the question, how do we live in a world that thinks that we are part of the problem? How do we live in a culture where God's people are under more and more pressure to conform? Well, I hope that as we cover this over the next seven week series, that it'll leave you with a bigger picture of God, a greater appreciation of Jesus and a more, a stronger resolve to live faithfully under the God who knows and loves you. Now, the book of Daniel, it opens with a crisis. And so we begin in verse 1. Here we find that in the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the articles from the temple of God. These he carried off to the temple of his God in Babylonia and put it in the treasure house of his God. So as we start, for God's people, for God's covenant people, things could not be worse, could they? What in the world is going on? That's what they must be thinking. Does God care? Is the God of Babylon, are the gods of Babylon more powerful than our God? Well, the answer to that is really simple. Because if you know anything about Israel's history, you can actually see how this is kind of this is a, the landing point for the trajectory of which they've been heading for many, many years. Right? A continued unfaithfulness to God has eventually led them to be exiled out of the promised land. And it's no surprise either. Right? This is what God has been telling them all along. But for the readers of this scroll of Daniel, for the first readers, the Jews who lived in the few hundred years between he and Jesus... God doesn't want them to start reading and think that the worst of times is outside of his control. Because of these, there's four little words at the start of verse 2 that tell us how to read and how to interpret the whole situation. Verse 2 starts, And the Lord delivered. And the Lord delivered. Right? God wants the, these first Jewish readers to know that when catastrophe struck Judah, and Judah's kingdom, it wasn't Nebuchadnezzar, but it was God who's moving the wheel of history to accomplish his good and perfect ends. I want you to see how the book of Daniel opens with both the worst of calamities 
for God's people then, but also the greatest of comforts for them. That at a time where everything seemed lost, at a time where life may not have felt worth living, at a time where God's promises perhaps felt like a pipe dream, these four words stand as an entryway into the book as a reminder that God is yet working his purposes out. Even in something like the treasures of his temple being taken away and put in a foreign God's temple like sports trophies. Even that is in God's hands. Now, from verse 3 onwards, we see that it wasn't just the treasures from the temple that Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, took from Jerusalem. No, he also took people. And be sure, this isn't some kind of spur of the moment, grabbing what he can. No, no, this is part of a well-thought-out, well-tested strategy for building and controlling an empire. And part of this strategy, as we see here, is that it involves deporting from a conquered nation all those who are royal or influential. And you either imprison them to neutralize the threat, or you indoctrinate them so that they would adopt your ways and your practices. And you've got to do it like boiling a frog in a pot. And you know what I mean by that, don't you, right? If you put a frog in a hot pot of water, it'll jump straight out. But if you put him in a cool pot of water and slowly but surely ramp up the temperature, right, he won't notice until he's ready for dinner. Uh, it's the same strategy that Babylon is employing here. It's a, it's a system uh, where one change after another is designed to undermine and overturn the conquered enemy's beliefs. So that, when it, so that in the end, they would end up basically as little Babylonian disciples from Israel. Who do they choose? Well, verse 3 tells us it begins with the royals and the nobles. Uh, verse 4, men who are both good-looking and smart. Right? But a few of us blokes would kind of, you know, think we wager pretty well here. But these guys, basically, they get sent with an all-expenses-paid first-class ticket to the University of Babylon, where, verse 4 and 5, they get the best education in Babylonian literature, wisdom, religion. They'll also get the best foods you can eat, literally food from the king's table. And on top of all that, you get a fancy new Babylonian name. Now, that's not everyone who's been exiled. It's only for the cream of the crop. But for those lucky people, right, exile doesn't feel too bad after all, does it? Right? It feels like a pretty sweet deal. You get all this stuff as long as you're willing to sell your soul. And in verses 6 and 7, we're introduced to four new students in the program. Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. And I trust you know that, I mean, they're weird name, names, but I trust you know that names, most names, have meaning attached to it. Uh, however, not all names are created equally. Matthew means gift from God. Anne means gracious. Cameron means crooked nose, right? Uh, now, in ancient times, Names often made a statement about the deity of the God of your na- the deity the God of your nation, and so in ancient Hebrew, Daniel means God is my judge. But he's stripped of that name and he's given a new one. He's given the name Belshazzar, right? And Belshazzar means the God of Babylon will protect. And it's the same for each of his friend, fr- three friends. Uh, their names that point to the God of Israel are stripped away and replaced by one that points to one of the various gods of Babylon. 
And this is just another step to try and squash, shape or conform God's people until they're no longer his. And so there's the program. There's the, the, the program of the University of Babylon's for international students, if you can call it that. New culture, new learning, new food, new name. And it all seems to be going to plan, doesn't it? Well, that is until we get to verse 8. Because there's a but, right? These guys are getting inducted into a three-year Babylonian apprenticeship. Verse 8, but... Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine. And he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself in this way. And now, Daniel, he doesn't do something crazy, right? He just asks if he can have food that's not from the king's table. But verse 10, the chief official says, I'm not going to do that because I'm scared of the king. And if he finds that I haven't been feeding you right, it's going to be my head. And so verse 12, Daniel says, Please test your servants for 10 days. Give us nothing but veggies to eat and water to drink. Then compare our appearance appearance with that of the young men who eat the royal food and treat your servants in accordance with what you see. So it's a test and they go for it. And in verse 15, we find that miraculously, they now look healthier and better nourished than all the others. And on top of that, verses 17 to 20 tell us that God blesses them. God gives these four guys knowledge and understanding far beyond any of the others, and they actually end up in the king's service. Now, a few things to say here. Uh, First of all, is that the question most people ask when reading this is, why do they refuse to eat the food? What is it about the food that would mean they're defiling themselves? Uh, The answer is, there are a few possibilities. It may be because of the Levitical laws that some foods were to be considered ceremonially unclean. It may be that it was the king's table and the food from the king's table was sacrificed as an offering to the Babylonian gods. It may have been because it was the king's food and in an Old Testament kind of context, to share in the king's table is actually the last step of assimilation, right? of giving yourself over. It could be one of these things, but... The simple answer is, we're not told, and so we don't know for certain. But what we do know is that Daniel and his friends know, uh, they know that for certain, if they partake in it, they are giving up being faithful to God. They've rejected following him. Whatever the reason, they know that that is true. Now, the second thing to say here is that notice when... Daniel and his friends choose faithfulness to God. They actually flourish. God blesses them and gives them what they need so that they could keep living faithful lives under him. Now, another question is, why was this written to the original Jewish audience and kept for us? The answer is, because the things that God calls his people to in every age is the same as his call for Daniel and his friends. That is, despite pressure to conform from those around us, keep striving for faithfulness to God in view of his promises. Despite despite pressure, keep going in faithfulness in view of God's promises. And like for Daniel, for Christians today, are things, and there are things that we don't need to hold so tightly to. But there are also some hills that are worth dying on. 
And the most obvious instance of this for us is when it comes to God's word. God's people cannot be willing to compromise when it comes to issues of righteousness. We cannot be willing to compromise when it comes to sin. We cannot be compromising when it comes to the issues of salvation. But there are other things about the way we live that don't necessarily impact our faithfulness to God. For example, when the government says at the start of COVID that uh, we can't meet for a time in person because of the health risk. I don't like it, but I can go along with it. But when they say that praying with or praying for a particular friend of mine is actually now considered a harmful conversion therapy practice and needs to stop, or when they say that helping my children know God's good design for human sexuality is actually damaging and dangerous, well, those things are a different story. But that's when I need to hear this challenge to faithfulness before the one true God. But it's also not just those kind of those big and, and hot topic things that, and things that our government will legislate on. What about the discipleship programs that are simply offered as part of being within our culture? We have a culture that says, you do you. It says, being your authentic self is what matters most. Now, our culture runs a program that says, nothing is more important than these things. Nothing is more important than your success at work or your success in sport. Nothing is more important if you have, than you having enjoyment in everything you do. Nothing is more important than you enjoying your retirement. Nothing is more important. Not your promises, not your commitments, not your family, not your church, and certainly not God. Now, in the face of this kind of culture, that either wants to squash what it considers harmful about us, or that wants to shape us away from our convictions, what we have here in Daniel is a call for God's people, no matter where or when we live, to keep striving for faithfulness to Almighty God. Now, for one lady I know, when she became a Christian, she said, Look, I live in a high-pressure and a demanding workplace, but I need to draw the line on two things. They cannot have me when it comes to Sunday night, sorry, for Wednesday night Bible study, and they cannot have me on Sunday morning. She said, for me, how I consider those things is a window into my heart. Right? There's no sense in going with the world and deciding that faithfulness will kick in when it really, really matters, right? Because it won't. No, faithfulness leaks. Unfaithfulness leaks. And Jesus says in Luke 16, whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. And so even when it doesn't sit, even when it doesn't sit right with the people around us, with the people you work with, with your family, with your friends, with the culture, even when you feel like the promises of God are far off, and we live in a land that offers us so many good things now, don't compromise. No, choose faithfulness to the God who is faithful to his promises. Now, as we think about the world and our place in it, uh, it's easy for Christians to sometimes feel like we're living in Babylon. It's not our true home, not the final resting place for God's people. It feels like at times we're living in a nation whose culture is, is everything opposed to God's word. And there's a growing sense that 
in many ways we don't really fit in. And for the ancient Israelites, that was basically their understanding of exile and Babylon. Exile is bad. Babylon consistently is a bad place. You don't want to be there. And so to be in exile there, it must be the epitome of God's judgment, right? That's the understanding that God's Old Testament people would have had. But I want to suggest that the book of Daniel actually cuts across that perspective. And I want you to see how this has implications for us in our world as well. I want to show you something that you may not have seen before. And I don't want you to miss it. So if you've gone to sleep, this is the time to tune back in. Because one of the keys for reading and understanding Daniel properly is actually found in the book of Jeremiah. Uh, Jeremiah was another prophet of Israel who lived just before Daniel's time and he told people what was about to happen, that they were about to go into exile because of their unfaithfulness. Now Jeremiah shows that the negative perspective of Babylon and exile, while not wrong, it's just not the complete picture. And so in chapter 24 of Jeremiah, God shows him a vision of two baskets of figs. One basket that is really, really good and one basket that is so bad that it can't be eaten. And in Jeremiah 24, Jeremiah says this, Then the word of the Lord came to me. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Like these good figs, I regard as good the exiles from Judah, whom I sent away to this place, the land of the Babylonians. My eyes will watch over them for their good, and I'll bring them back to this land. I will build them up and not tear them down. And if we were to keep reading verses 8 through to 10, we find God saying, actually, his judgment will be on those who aren't exiled. His judgment will be on those who stay in Jerusalem. In other words, Jeremiah is showing us that it's the exiles in Babylon who are to be truly counted as God's blessed people. Now, the other key in Jeremiah comes in chapter 29. Because in Jeremiah 29, uh, God has a message to go to those exiles in Babylon. And he says to them, 29 verse 5, Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat from them. Marry and have sons and daughters. Increase in number, don't decrease. Also, this is the key, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Right, do you see that? God is blessing this city by having his people live there, and by blessing it, God intends that his people will in turn be blessed. And so can you see that while Babylon and exile are usually thought in terms of, you know, negatively, Jeremiah, and especially Daniel here, show that that view isn't complete. That living in this kingdom that's not their true home, it will actually be good for God's people and good for that kingdom. Because to the ungodly nation who stands under God's wrath, God has a saving word for them. And for that nation, for that to happen rather, he needs his people living there. Daniel and the others, they need to be at home in Babylon. They need to get on with life because by being there, they'll be revealing to the nation God's king and his kingdom in ways that ultimately only find their fulfillment in the Lord Jesus. Now, Daniel and his friends, they remained f- totally faithful to God and acted as witnesses to God's uh, providence and his grace. 
and God took them on a journey. He made them leave their familiar home so that they would might bear witness to their enemies. And I hope you can see how that is a picture. That's a, a beautiful shadow of another Hebrew man who would arrive on the scene about 600 years later, who was also sent to a foreign place and to bear witness to the one true God. You see, like Daniel and his friends, Jesus, the eternal son of God, would leave his home and live amongst his enemies and do so without defiling himself even once. And like Daniel and his friends, Jesus would find favor with both God and men. Like Daniel and his friends, people would be amazed at Jesus' wisdom and understanding. Like them, Jesus would refuse to compromise when tempted by his enemy. Like them, Jesus would remain utterly faithful to God. For these guys, their faithfulness brought them to live in the king's palace. But rather, in contrast, Jesus, his faithfulness, his faithful witness to God before the authorities would see him nailed to a cross. And it's by his faithful death that Jesus takes on himself the judgment that his faithless people deserve. Faithless people like the Israelites. Faithless people like us. The judgment we deserve because of our sin. And it's by his death that all who trust in him will be forgiven and live for eternity and experience every spiritual blessing while we wait the final fulfillment of his promises. Now, I want to finish by tracing one final thread with you. Jesus, he takes that, that idea of that view of being God's faithful witnesses in a foreign land and he applies that to his disciples in John 17, right? We heard that in our first reading. And then Peter, one of Jesus' disciples, he applies that same thing to the Christians he's writing to in his first letter. In 1 Peter 2, he says, Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles, right? Exiles, that's us, to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that, though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on a day he visits us. Now, I hope you can see what's going on here, because I think this is wonderful. Jeremiah's word to Daniel and the others living in Babylon is the same as Jesus' word to his disciples. And it's the same word that Peter encourages Christians down through the ages with, including us today. While we're not in our true home, it's a call to be in the world, but not of the world. Right? Don't cave to the pressure to conform to it, but don't also withdraw from it. This is the world, the country, the community, perhaps the workplaces, the friend groups that God would have us in so that we would be growing as disciples, even under pressure, and so that we would be a blessing to these places as we live lives as grace-filled, gospel-oozing disciples of Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks that all Scripture is God-breathed. That in Daniel we see a picture of faithfulness, a picture that's an echo of our Lord and Saviour Jesus. Help us to be challenged by that. Help us to strive for faithfulness to you. Help us to, to not go along with the world, not compromise, but seek to put you first in everything. Seek to, to live where you've placed us. Live in a way that shines a light for you 
in this foreign land. God, we pray that this series would be something that is good for us and builds us up as disciples of the one who died for us. Amen. Well, let's go now to another time of praise. come to a time of prayer uh, and so as usual the blue screen will come up 
There are plenty of things to be praying for. Uh, let's commit what's going on in our lives, in our church, in our community to our Lord God. And then after that, we'll have another time of praise.
let me encourage you again with those words uh, that Peter uses to encourage Christians with in the first century. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Rather, live such good lives among the pagans that, though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on a day he visits us. Let's keep living faithful lives under our faithful God as we look to the promises of our faithful Saviour. See you next time.